Most people like the idea of grace. Most people do. And they like the idea of a gracious God. And they think they understand grace pretty well. They think they know what a gracious God is like. And I'm here to tell you this morning that actually, no. You probably, in reality, don't understand God's grace. It is very likely that God's grace is far more radical and far more comprehensive than you and I realize. And as Gospel Life Church begins a new journey at this location in South Huntsville, I want to make sure, I want to make sure to set the right tone here at the beginning. I want to set the right tone here at the start. You see, I want this place to be an oasis of grace for our city. An oasis of grace for those who are tired and weary and burned out on life and religion can come and find rest. Rest for their souls. But in order to do that, we need to understand grace first. We need to know what grace is really all about. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to examine God's extraordinary grace together in a sermon series I've titled Grace Without Limits. And I couldn't think of a better place to start than the book of Ephesians. The first three chapters of the book of Ephesians explain God's grace in a way that is so breathtaking. And takes you to such heights that it almost makes your nose bleed. The gospel promises that the Apostle Paul lays out here are so stunning, they're honestly hard to believe. They are hard to believe. My life group went through Ephesians not too long ago, and we would so many times just sit there in shock over what Paul says. It's just hard to believe that grace could look like that. It's hard to believe. I don't have time to hit all three chapters. That's your homework. Your homework is the first three chapters of Ephesians, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Read the first three chapters and let Paul take you to heights of grace you've never imagined. But we don't have time for all three chapters today. But I want to just look at one part that I think summarizes grace pretty well. And that's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. If you want to turn there now, the verses will also be on the screen if you don't have your Bible with you. This is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. This is Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. We're going to look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the way of this world, 
and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work, and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is God's word. Let us pray together. Father, thank you for gathering us here this morning. Thank you for these words. Oh, these words are so precious, Father. Thank you for them, for how they encourage us and instruct us and sharpen us and give us such hope and such rest. But most of all, Father, we thank you for the word to whom these words point. We thank you for your precious Son. And in humility, Father, we ask you today, just give us a glimpse of Jesus. Just one glimpse of Jesus today. Because we know one glimpse of Jesus will change us from the inside out. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Okay, so the primary theme of our text today is not that hard to figure out. Three times the word is mentioned. The word, grace. The word grace. Now, one word Paul uses to describe grace is gift. It is a gift which brings us to point number one in your bulletin. Point number one. God's grace is a gift. It's a gift. Look at verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Paul is saying here that salvation is a totally free gift. It's a gift. And just for emphasis, he explicitly says that it is not of works. Did you see that? It is not of works. This gift is not something you've earned. It's not something you've achieved. It's free. Uh, it's just free. 
It's just free. But I want you to consider this. There are all kinds of free gifts out there. This isn't the only one. There's lots of free gifts out there. There really is. But those gifts don't overwhelm you. Most of them don't. They don't fill you with wonder. They don't change your life. For example, right now in the seat in front of you is a pen. Do you see it? If you're on the front row, it's on the seat behind you. There's a pen in the seat in front of you. And guess what? It's yours. You can have it. That's your pen now. Go ahead and write your name on it. That's your pen. You can have it. Congratulations. You're the proud owner, owner of a new pen. It's free. You, so you see what I just did. I gave you a free gift. You didn't earn it. You didn't even ask for it. You probably don't even want it. <laughs> but you get it anyway, okay? It's a free gift that's now yours, okay? You didn't pay for it. You didn't earn it, but it's yours. It's free. But when you put that pen in your pocket, are you filled with wonder? Will that pen change your life? Will it? I hope not. We need to have a discussion if it does. Okay? Hopefully the pen does not change your life. Then what's the point I'm trying to make? The point is, the amount of power a free gift has depends upon two things. Number one, it's importance. Number two, it's costliness. It's importance and it's costliness. So it's not so much about the freeness of it. Though the freeness is cool, it's not so much about the freeness. It's about how much you need it and how valuable it is. You see? How much you need it and how valuable it is. The pen in front of you is not only not important, it's the very definition of unimportant. It's probably the last thing that you need. I know our junk drawer is full of dozens of cheap pens. I have no need for another one. It's unimportant, correct? It's unimportant. I really don't need the pen, but thank you, I guess. I don't need it. It's not going to change my life. It's really not going to do one thing for me. And the pen is not very costly, is it? If you do the math, those pens in front of you, they're cost less than a nickel. They're nothing. But the argument that the apostle is making here is that the free gift God has for you is so important and so valuable that it will change your life. Not only for this lifetime, but for all time. For all eternity, your life will be changed by it. Which brings us to point number two. God's grace is a gift, number one. But number two, God's grace is indispensable. God's grace is indispensable. 
Let's look at verses 1 through 3 together. Verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in all those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. As for you, you were dead. That's what Paul said. You were dead in your sins. Notice, Paul doesn't say you were sick in your sins, does he? He didn't say you were hurting real bad. No. He says you were dead. Now, there's a pretty big difference between being sick and being dead. Isn't there? Yeah, pretty sure. Yeah, pretty sure too. Yeah. Now, many people might admit, they might admit that they're sick in their sin. They might admit that. Might. You know, they just made some mistakes. Taken a few wrong turns in life. And God is sad with them. Yeah, God's disappointed with them. But all they need to do is just turn over a new leaf. Just turn over a new leaf. Make a few right turns in life. Make a few good decisions. You know, start going to church more. Join a life group. Drop some money in the plate. And things will be okay. I'll get better and God's frown will turn upside down. Well, the Apostle Paul says, you're wrong. You're wrong. God is not sad at sin. He's furious at sin. And you are far more than sick, far worse off. The following passage I'm about to read to you is in the Bible three times. Three times. Verbatim. I'm going to read this to you. Quote, All men, both Jews and Greeks, are under the power of sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside. Together they have gone wrong, no one does good, not even one. That passage occurs three times in Scripture. Now, just look at verse 3 here with me. Verse 3. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. No, God's not sad. That's sin. We are deserving of wrath. Folks, humanity is not spiritually sick. Humanity is spiritually 
dead. It has no pulse. It has no heartbeat. Now, there are two important implications of this truth. Very important implications. If it's true that we're not sick, we're dead. Two implications. Number one, sick people cannot, sick people can get themselves better. Dead people can't. Okay? That's just kind of logical, right? Sick people can get themselves better. Dead people can't. You see, sick people can go to the doctor. They can get on a different diet. They can take some pills regularly and over time fix things, right? But dead people can't drive to the doctor, can they? Dead people can't go on a diet. Dead people can't take any pills. You see, if you're just sick, you can contribute at least in some way to your own healing, can't you? You can. But if you're dead, you can't contribute squat, can you? No. You don't need medicine. You need a resurrection. The second implication of our spiritual deadness is this. There are varying degrees of sickness, but there are no varying degrees of deadness. You see? A lot of folks think, well, yeah, I'm a sinner. Okay, fine. I might be a sinner, but I'm nowhere near as bad as. <laughs> you should see my neighbor. You should meet my boss. Woo. He's a real jerk. Okay? I'm a sinner, fine, but my boss, whoo, he's a real jerk. But you see, that idea is based on the assumption that we are all sick in sin. And that there are varying degrees of sickness. And look, there are lots of different ways to be sick. But dead is dead. Ain't it? Dead is dead. Sure, there are lots of different ways to die. But the state of being dead is exactly the same for everyone who's dead. They're dead. Okay? So maybe your boss is a jerk. Maybe you're right. But you're just as dead as he is. Now, this does not mean that we're all as wicked as we could possibly be. It does not mean that. What it means is that any amount of wickedness you do have, whatever it is, is damnable. It kills your soul. Any amount. It kills it. It kills it. You see, we have, you and I, every single one of us, spit in our Creator's face over and over and over again. Well, really, it's worse than that. It's worse than that. Sin, when we sin, it's more than, it's more than spitting at God. It's more like an assassination attempt. This is what sin is. It is us attempting to seize God's throne, to take control where God has control, to be our own saviors and our own lords. It's exactly what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden. 
And it happens to us every day. It's an assassination attempt. It's our own attempt to be God. To make our own rules. So, if that's true, think about how silly it is for you to think you're more holy than your neighbor. Think how silly that is. (laughs) Well, my neighbor has tried to assassinate God five million times. But I've only tried to assassinate God two million times. So I'm better. Okay. Uh, No. You're not. (laughs) You're not better. You're still just as damned and dead and worthy of punishment as your neighbor. Now, we can at this point logically conclude that if we're all spiritually dead rather than spiritually sick, that means grace is absolutely indispensable. It's the most important thing that exists. Do you see that? (laughs) Since dead people can't do anything... They can't make any decisions, they can't drive to a doctor, they can't take any pills, they can't come to church, they can't do anything. Since dead people can't do anything, it's either God gives us grace or we're doomed. Do you see? That's it. That's the only choice. Either he gives grace or we're all doomed. You cannot ever, ever, ever work or earn your way to God. You're dead. Which means grace is indispensable. Whether you realize it or not, God's grace is more important to you than oxygen. It's more important than the air you breathe. Because it's the one and only thing keeping you from hell. Which brings us to our last point. Number three, God's grace It's costly. It's costly. Let's look at verses 4 through 7. Verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So, since we are all sinful and spiritually dead, since we are all God's enemies attempting to assassinate Him, how does He respond to His enemies? What does God do? Well, you can't even get your head around what God does. We will be sitting like this together 10,000 years from now still trying to comprehend it. 
still trying. Oh, and failing, by the way. To comprehend what God does in response. Paul lays it out here. God does three things. We just read them in verses 4 through 7. Number one, He makes us alive with Christ. Number two, He raises us up with Christ. And number three, He seats us on a heavenly throne alongside Christ. What? That's what God does with His enemies? Are you kidding me, Paul? Oh, Paul's not kidding. Now, what's really wild is that Paul presents these three actions of God in the past tense. He puts them in the past tense. What does that mean? Well, it means that the very nanosecond you believed in Christ for salvation... You were made spiritually alive and were seated next to Jesus on his throne. The nanosecond you believed. It's not something you're working for. It's not a future event. It's already happened. He says, you have been seated. You have been raised. What? <laughs> what? Now, obviously, you were not literally in heaven. But you are right now legally in heaven. You are. At this very moment, right where you sit, there is a throne next to Jesus in heaven with your name on it. Right now. You are as loved and accepted in God's eyes right now as you will be one day in heaven. You see, the very second Jesus saves you, you are so united to him that everything he has ever done and everything he deserves becomes yours. You and Jesus are tied together at the hip forever. Forever and ever and ever. And let no man separate what God has joined together. You are as honored. You are as loved. You are as accepted by God the Father as Jesus is. Right now. Do you see how radical grace is? God took his enemies and gave them a seat on his throne. Now, you say you don't feel like all this can be true. You're like, no way, dude. No way. You say, I feel like a sinner. I'm a screw up. I fail God over and over and over and over again. I just, I can't, I just feel like a loser, a spiritual loser. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that it really doesn't matter 
how you feel. It doesn't matter what you feel. It matters what God says. That's what matters. It does not matter at all how you feel. <laughs> I feel like that too, by the way. I feel like a huge spiritual loser. But thankfully, Christianity is not predicated on our feelings. It's predicated on God's promises. It doesn't matter how I feel. It matters what he says. And he says that I am dearly loved. That I am so united with his son that the father can't tell the difference between us. That is what he says. And so it's very likely you will never feel like that's true. <laughs> Ever. And so we don't run to our feelings for assurance. We run to the promises. What he has promised. We run to his word. So though our thoughts and our words and our actions make us feel low down and dirty rotten, the promise of God in Scripture that we have just read is that by faith alone in Christ, we are fully united with Him. You say, yeah, but gosh, I barely even come to church anymore. It doesn't matter. You say, yeah, but golly, I haven't shared my faith with anyone in years. It doesn't matter. You say, yeah, but golly, I haven't, I haven't been the kind of father I'm supposed to be. I haven't been the kind of wife I'm supposed to be. I haven't led my children well. Hey, look, listen to me. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. If you don't believe me, go to the Apostle Paul. What does he say? What did we just read in verse 8? For it is by grace you have been saved through your good works. Oh, wait, that's... Uh, oh, he said, through your church attendance. Oh, wait, let's see. Uh, oh, through how much money you put in the plate. No. By faith. Period. Let's not put commas where God put periods. It's by faith. By faith, you are joined together with Jesus forever. Forever. <laughs> you didn't earn it to get it, and you can't earn it to keep it. It's yours forever. It's a free gift given to you through faith. You are united with Jesus fully clothed in his righteousness, and right now there's a seed in heaven with your name on it. But now we come to the flip side of our union with Christ. The flip side of our union. You see, yes, you have a seat in heaven right now that's yours. But that seat wasn't cheap. No, it came at an unimaginable cost. 
and unimaginable cost. You see, the church is so united with Christ that we get everything He deserves. But He is so united with us that He gets everything we deserve. And what is it that we deserve? Death. Wrath. And eternal separation from God for our rebellion against Him. But, instead of us paying this heavy price, the one we are united to paid it for us. He stood in our place and took the punishment and the wrath that Paul says we by nature deserve. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, And God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God now treats us like Jesus deserves to be treated, because on the cross, God treated Jesus like we deserve to be treated. On the cross, Jesus physically died But he also, for the first time in eternity, was separated from and rejected by his Father. That is a pain that we cannot fathom. It is hell. It is. That is hell. That is what happened to Jesus on the cross. Do you remember what he cried out? Remember, he he only really cried out one time. Do you remember what it was? Did he cry, my hands, my hands. My feet, my feet. Since they had nails in them. Did he cry, my head, my head. Since... He had a crown of thorns pressed into his skull. No. What did he cry? My God. My God. Why have you forsaken me? My friends, every drop of wrath that you deserved that I deserved that the whole world deserved all came crashing down on Jesus why because like I said at the beginning and like Paul says here in verse 4 Because he's just crazy in love with us. Verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. 
How does he make us alive? Because Jesus died. Jesus died so that we could live. Now, I've been accused of being a cheap grace preacher. No, I'm not. I'm not a cheap grace preacher. I'm a costly grace preacher. Oh, it's, grace is free to you. But it cost Jesus everything. It came at an infinite cost to Jesus. It's free to you, but it wasn't cheap. It came at the death of God's Son. Your free grace came at an infinite cost to Jesus. And praise God Almighty, Jesus paid it all. Not one penny is still owed. And for non-Christians here today, if you're, a, if you're not a Christian here today, thank you for coming. And I pray God gifted you with salvation today. I pray God gifted you with belief. I pray that he opened your heart to see the wonders of grace in Jesus. And something you can do, if that is you today, and you can say with the Apostle Paul, you can confess with your mouth that I believe this is true. I believe that I was a sinner. And I believe that Jesus paid the price for my sin and rose from the dead. If you confess that with your mouth, believe it in your heart, congratulations. You are a Christian today. And we'll bring a baptismal in here next week and we'll throw you in the water. <laughs> and so if that's you today, there is a connection card in front of you, in the seat in front of you. If you'll just put your name on there and check that you were saved today and that you would like to be baptized. You can just leave that in your seat if you'd like to. You can put it in the offering basket when you leave. Whatever you want to do is fine. You can bring it to me. It'd be great. I would love to celebrate with you. For the Christians in the room today, I pray that you now have a deeper appreciation for grace. And I hope that as you leave here, you will begin to reflect every day on the extravagant, overwhelming, free, indispensable, and costly grace of Jesus. And let it fill your soul with joy, hope, and peace.